I'm very hopeful that more chefs will become more involved in connecting with growers that are in their area. And I'm hopeful that uh, in the future, we will have more transparency through those systems and to the mm -hmm. customers. Because I, I think some of that process is still quite elusive. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Many interesting visitors that have come to Farm to Table Talk, and some of the guests I've had have been from all over, and different experiences to, to meet these. This is the first guest that I literally met in a barn. You know, I've talked to people that have connections to barns, but Stephanie, I met you in a barn, and we had a conversation a few years ago, back before COVID, in a, in a barn north of Cincinnati, and my guest is Chef Stephanie White. Stephanie, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thanks for having me again. I'm super excited to be back. <laughs> I, I'm hoping I have to explain a little bit of what we were doing meeting at a barn, but mm -hmm. we were meeting in a barn, but it was not just an ordinary barn. It was a pretty exceptional barn, and you were involved in going beyond just like a farmer in the barn. Mm -hmm. You had classes and other kinds of programs going on, but why don't you explain what that what that was? Yeah, so uh, that beautiful barn studio space is at Turner Farm, which is still in Indian Hill, uh, Ohio, near Cincinnati. And it's a lovely facility that uh, does a lot of farm to table classes. So it works in conjunction with the organic growing that is happening literally around the building. Uh, and they do a great job of bringing what's you know, growing outside, out, uh, and into the kitchen space to teach people how to work with fresh produce. So um, I was the chef there at the time, and we were doing some really amazing programming, and I am sure they are still making some amazing programming to this day. <laughs> it really is an amazing site. Mm -hmm. And and actually, if you are in Cincinnati, you can go like north, kind of what, northeast to northeast, in, yeah. Indian Hills. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a beautiful area mm -hmm. and a lot of big homes out there, but this is a really nice farm and they have both livestock and crops and lots mm -hmm. of activities going on. I was very impressed and I enjoyed having a conversation with you there, but you've gone some places since then. A few, yes. <laughs> so so these days I'm with Escoffier or the Augusta Escoffier School of Culinary Arts. Um so we have two campuses. Uh, one is in Boulder, Colorado, and one is in Austin, Texas. But we also have an amazing online, uh, basically, campus with thousands of students and many different programs that we offer there. So I work for the online program. So the students that mm -hmm. are tapping into it, what are they studying to be? Or, yeah. or how are they trying to change themselves from being involved in the programs that you're offering? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we get a lot of different students with many different career goals. Um, our primary programs uh, have been focused on culinary arts. We have a certificate program and then an associates program. We also have a baking and pastry program kind of with those same two tracks. Uh, but we also now have a plant-based program, which I help oversee, a holistic nutrition and wellness program, which I also help oversee, and a food entrepreneurship program, as well as a, a restaurant 
operations management program. So we have a lot of different programs depending on, uh, you know, what our students are trying to achieve in their uh, career. So some of them, you know, absolutely want to get into the restaurant industry. Maybe they already have some experience or they're trying to dip their toe into it uh, through our programs first. And, you know, uh, we we get some folks who want to be in the restaurant scene, some that want to have their own private catering company, or uh, they want to be a personal chef, some want to have food trucks. Uh, and then we have, especially with our holistic nutrition program, many folks that want to get in the space of food as medicine. Uh, same thing, honestly, with many of our plant-based students as well. Uh, so it's really all over the place. It's It's very much focused on helping our students uh, learn more and, and grow within uh, within food in a way that makes sense for their their goals. Yeah. So they can go to the campus in Boulder, they could go mm -hmm. to a campus in Austin, or mm -hmm. they can do it virtually. Fully online. Correct. Yeah. And are they usually motivated that they are breaking into the business or they're already in and they want to add some sort of talent or training mm -hmm. that they can put on their resume that they now know how to do this whatever yeah. it is you know it's it's a great mix um we we've seen variations over the years particularly during the pandemic we saw a lot more folks transition into the industry uh you know i think a lot of folks' lives were upturned during the pandemic and for many people saw that as a great opportunity to reach for a goal and a dream that they may have had for years that they never thought was possible. And um, they were able to make it happen online. So we get a fair few folks who have uh, have not really been totally in the industry yet uh, and are really excited to learn as much as they can foundationally uh, to set themselves up for success. But we do also have plenty of students as well that have been you know, cooking in kitchens and they're ready to kind of up their credentialing so that they can, you know, get promotions or move on uh, in the industry. Yeah. So it's all, you know, it. you know, plant-based yeah. is something that's you hear a lot more than you mm -hmm. used to. I mean, there was a time where you would just think of people that were very much plant oriented were either vegetarians or, or vegans. Right. And then somewhere somebody started referring to this as plant-based and certainly mm -hmm. all of the, meat substitutes were kind of claiming that they were plant-based mm -hmm. but it's it's kind of confusing to me in a way because i i just feel like all food is plant-based even the animals <laughs> are eating plants right but how, did, how did you see that kind of breaking into the scene yeah and, you know it's really interesting because a same i growing up you think about plant-based at least back Back in the day, it's much more vegetarian, vegan, uh, but now it's absolutely kind of manifested into a totally different spectrum where certainly vegan and vegetarianism uh, or veganism and vegetarianism are a part of it. But some folks are more kind of plant forward or they base their diet around plants, but they may still consume animal protein. So uh, it's a very broad term. And I think most people have a different definition for themselves. Um, now, the plant-based program we have is uh, designed with the recipes being completely vegan, just because that is like basically the most plant-based you can get from a recipe perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't, you know, we have many students who still consume uh, perhaps small animal products in some way or are looking to uh, get a better understanding of what plant-based cooking looks like for their career or for their clients and things like that. Well, you can see how it's a little confusing. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it, like you pointed out, the sum can accommodate a view of maybe meat being a smaller part of the plate. If they have mm -hmm. meat at all, it might be a small helping of certain, and then certain qualifications, I suppose, you know, it's grass fed and, and so forth and not processed, but, but not necessarily being center of the plate. I mean, as you described right. it, I think in terms of what we said was what center of the plate could be mm -hmm. center of the plate of actual plants right. uh, rather than uh, a meat protein. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, nationally and globally, we're looking at that from a sustainability perspective, but also a, a global health perspective and how we can, uh, if you do decide to still consume animal products, what does that look like where it's more of an accent, uh, you know, choosing really high quality, really, uh, you know, well cared for animals that can still be a part of the plate, but it becomes more of um, an accent or a garnish almost rather than kind of the epicenter. Yeah. 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 And it's it's well it's an interesting challenge. I mean, mm -hmm. so you are going to have people kind of drawn to this, which is in some respects still um a bit of an abstract notion that's mm -hmm. that's taking shape. And even though you've got a, a vegan core in those classes, mm -hmm. as as the people come to you on that, uh, I'm wondering about what's the mix of those that perhaps themselves are already vegan or maybe aren't, maybe even mm -hmm. are carnivores, but they're just trying to either understand it and be able to serve those that are and yeah. feel like they just have to expand their repertoire mm -hmm. so that they're they're a little bit more vegetable friendly than they, they might have been traditionally. Right. Yeah, it's honestly a healthy mix. Um, some of our cohorts are uh, heavily vegetarian and vegan, and, and some are much more like, hey, I want to eat more this way, or I feel um, physically better eating this way, or I want to um, cook more this way for, you know, my family and my my future uh, clients. So it's, it is all over the place in um, where people are coming from to this program. Yeah. Now, in the old days, being when there was vegetarian more so than even vegans, mm -hmm. uh, vegetarian does accommodate eggs and dairy products. Typically, right? yes. Yes, absolutely. So it gets a lot tougher to me when you make that next step because, yes. you know, I just went to the refrigerator and made myself something and I had some um, some refried beans and some rice and some salsa and I put a fried egg on it and I thought just for good measure, I put a handful of cheese and, and put it up on the skillet <laughs> and it was delicious and high protein and, you mm -hmm. know, and and yet the, the cheater on it was, well, the tomato sauce, you know, gives it something, but cheese is an easy way to make it palatable. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of dealing with those as as good as vegetables can be. Mm -hmm. It just seems like you have to work a little harder sometimes to to yeah. make it rich and you know hearty. You have that umami feeling. in the depth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh it's you know it's interesting because I um you know I I started uh, in the hospitality industry in my teens uh and I had a few years prior to that, I'd uh, gone vegan uh, kind of off of a bet with uh, a classmate of mine in high school. Uh, we were training for Ultimate Frisbee and we thought we would feel better if we, you know, went vegetarian, um, which we did. Uh, but I was also getting into learning about our food system in the United States and getting quite uh, irritated with our, the quality uh, right. of our products. And um, at the time, you know, as a teenager, you don't have much purchasing power. So, the way I decided to go about it was uh, going vegan. And uh, I went to a very traditional French culinary school or, 
you know, French-based culinary school. And, uh, you know, those classic techniques are amazing. And I feel very fortunate that I went through a very traditional program. But when you go from something like that, where everything is um, animal-based, butter-based, the types of conversations you have with classically trained chefs of, so what do you eat? Or, you know, and this is is definitely before veganism kind of shot off. Uh, So it was, you know, people asking me, how do I, how do I even eat anything? It's like, well, there are, there are plenty of foods that are not animal based, but uh, you could simply switch out butter for oil. But at the same time, yes, you do hit on a really great point that when you're thinking about uh, items that people naturally kind of get drawn to when you don't eat fully plant-based, it becomes really difficult to feel that satiation or that satisfaction that I think can come from uh, particularly cheese, because there is that umami, there's that fermentation, there's that depth. Um, and, and there are some really great ways to, you know, it. I don't like to consider them substitutes. They're just different. So thinking about like making either nut cheeses or using nuts that are toasted to have a little bit of a crunch and maybe that fatty element to it as well. Um, or, you know, thinking about how we construct dishes and thinking about how the textures are playing with each other. Uh, maybe we add in some pickled items to create a little bit of funk and, uh, you know, textural difference there. Um, so it's, you tend to find that you're, you have to be more creative yeah. to, you know, work around not having something that's sad or, or plain or, or bland, you know, because that's certainly not what we want when any of us are eating. Um, but it, it's definitely different. It's basically like rewiring how you think about food and how you construct dishes when you go fully plant-based. You know, I'm still thinking about back when, you know, you were becoming vegan. And one of the mm-hmm. things that was making you look that look that direction was your perception of the way uh, livestock are produced in the United States. Right. And, and, and what strikes me about that, that's that you kind of connected with later at, at Turner Farms. Yes. Is not every place, the, the non-industrial don't all look like Turner Farms, but still right. you can take a drive out in the country and go somewhere like that and see the cattle mm-hmm. on the hills and seeing what they're doing and also kind of appreciate what they're doing even on the, from a, a climate change basis yeah. and the regenerative agriculture, but it's harder. I mean, that's adding mm-hmm. a whole nother dimension that for, for many people to try to say, well, I think there's probably different kinds of production, mm-hmm. but how can I possibly know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to a restaurant or I'm fixing something at home. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. No. And it's incredibly complex. Regenerative agriculture is amazing. And you are totally right that, you know, just because something is livestock does not mean that it was raised the same way. It does not mean that it had the same diet. It doesn't even mean that it's going to have the same nutrient density because of because whatever it ate or wherever it was or the stress that it had on its life. Same thing though with produce, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not like every agricultural uh, base of growing a carrot is the same. Uh, is it, you know, organic or, even if it doesn't have the organic labeling, has it been biodynamically grown? Those are all very different uh, as, as far as thinking about like monocropping instead. And that certainly impacts the nutrient density and the flavor. And it's very difficult for consumers to critically analyze literally everything we eat and what's the best choice. It's 
I think it's almost impossible to continuously have that lens because it's exhausting. And we usually put our brain power to other things in our lives. <laughs> you know, I, I was always intrigued by the program is called the slow food movement. Mm -hmm. Because in, in a way, you almost there's so many things you want to slow down. I've talked to some chefs lately. They were just talking about sourcing their food from some orchards that are keeping fruit on the tree to the very last minute to get mm -hmm. the maximum flavor in it and some of the other things you do. Yeah. But one thing they seem to have in common is that they're not taking any shortcuts. Right. You know, it it's not that they're driven to try to get as much as they can, as quick as they can and yes. and you know and just get it out the door and get it moving or in some cases try to be able to ship it across the country necessarily when you have to pick it too green and hoping mm -hmm. it ripens in the three weeks that it's on the grocery shelf and right. you know but that system has gotten a lot of food to a lot of places and and relatively inexpensive i mean although mm -hmm. there's a lot of tension lately on how much higher the food prices yeah. have gotten but still americans are spending like an average of 14% of their disposable income. And you sometimes say, gee, why is it more than that? I mean, what's more important than good quality food? Right. But, but the slowing it all down a little bit does, mm -hmm. does get a little bit more costly. Yes, it absolutely does. It's, I think it's really difficult for many people to reassess how they value purchasing food. I, yeah. I think that's um, there. There are just so many competing needs that individuals have and families have that um, it, it can be quite a challenge to justify paying more for something, uh, especially if things are tight elsewhere. You know, but well, it's, it's pretty hard to when if you have a, a young family. Mm -hmm. you're you're rushing you pick them up after after school or there's some place that they go to you can get off your work mm -hmm. and then you got to run to something else and then they got something else and so you you drive by one of the drive-through fast food restaurants and still you know not spend mm -hmm. a lot and it makes them happy because it's right. a lot of you know french fries and cheeseburgers right. and maybe milkshakes or cokes which are terrible mainly for all the sugar right. but are, are terrible but how can you criticize somebody that has no time and has very little money and where you can do the drive-through lane and and feed two kids and yourself for under 15 dollars right. and they're happy until you drop them off at the next place you got to go mm -hmm. yeah and that's you know Ultimately, it is more affordable short term, but I, I always like to remind myself thinking about, you know, our, our health outcomes that we're paying less now, but we may be paying more in the future, particularly in healthcare sure, costs. Sure. So it's, but it's, it's hard to think about that when you have so much going on or, you know, you're trying to get from point A to point B, C, and D all within three hours. And uh, you've got a bunch of other people you're caring for. That is incredibly challenging. And uh, you can't blame somebody for going through that, you know? No, it's interesting, too. You've got the food as medicine program getting started right now, too. So that should be interesting for chefs, yeah. too. A lot of people that are on, say, SNAP programs, the mm -hmm. Supplemental Nutrition Assistant Programs, they're able to use those in stores and increasingly farmers markets to be able mm -hmm. to get all sorts of healthier, healthier foods. 
it's too bad it's not easier to use them in actual restaurants, I would think. Right. It's it's an interesting system. And, um, you know, it's we're at a really interesting time for Snap as well with, um, you know, there were there were a lot of parameters around who's eligible for SNAP that changed during the pandemic. And now that that has been recently lifted, uh, it's made it more difficult again. Um, so it would be interesting, though, to see that uh, see that process of being able to use it at, you know, particular restaurants or be able to use it for more prepared foods. Um, it's it's I think it's really important that we have a supplemental nutrition assistance program, but I, I think there's a, a lot to be desired still on how it's structured. So, you know, when it strikes me as we talk about these things and these trends and the needs mm-hmm. that society has of your job, when you're working on educating chefs and mm-hmm. training chefs, you have to allow a little time for them to get their heads wrapped around these concepts. I mean, like, mm-hmm. Like some of them might be almost as uh, naive as I was, was saying that, okay, I want to get more into doing some things or something more that is plant-based, for example. But it's it seems like it's it's more than teaching them the techniques of getting the vegetables that they need and, and how to prepare them and how to serve them. But don't you also have to have them kind of a little bit broader perspective of why it is we find ourselves in this and what it is the customers are looking for. uh, So they know where they're coming from before they just start cooking. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, I think it's interesting because yes, absolutely. Foundational skills, techniques, knife skills, food safety, all incredibly important and a must, but at the same time, absolutely. We, we do need to understand what the market is looking for, uh, what it may look for, hopefully in the future too, and how can we potentially shape that? Um, it's there's a lot more to consider than the simple act of, and I say simple, um, you know, it, in that way, but uh, the simple act of cooking. Sure, there's so much more to it. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about sourcing a little bit. I mean, there are still large food service companies that you can call, and they can bring almost everything you ask for. Mm-hmm. But to what extent do you get into coaching some of these chefs mm-hmm. into um, sourcing, uh, finding farms, maybe even starting to grow some things on their own? Have yeah, have uh, I've heard of people that are are putting containers out behind their mm-hmm. restaurants, and they got lights and water and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and they're growing leafy greens and. And so is there anything you can do to kind of encourage them in that transition too? Yeah. You know, um, a part of our plant-based program, we have uh, one course called seasonal approaches to plant-based cuisine. So each week is a different season, essentially, obviously it's with over six weeks. So they're not within every season during that time. But um, during that course in particular, we talk about uh, farming practices and how that can influence um, what products are available and thinking about also their area. One of their discussion forums is to look up a CSA that's in their area. What does it offer? Would they be interested in purchasing it? Why wouldn't, you know, all of that. And I think it's, um, I think it's really important for chefs to realize that there, you have to do a lot of research, especially if you want local produce and you got to get to know who's growing it so that you can better understand it. 
I would think that research would include getting out in the farms, driving out yes. in the country and seeing the people <laughs> that are willing to grow and, mm -hmm. and get out and talk to them and learn to talk farmer. Yeah, no, absolutely. We um, we do have an amazing board member, Farmer Lee Jones, who I know you have spoken to previously. He's on Escafi's board, and uh, we luckily have the the pleasure of having him uh, guest speak with many of our students on a fairly regular basis. And I think that also inspires a lot of our students to realize that they they do need to get out there and get to know their local area and get to know the farmers because. It's just going to make their food even better and richer. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I've had Farmer Lee Jones on recently and had a lot of good feedback. People mm -hmm. that really enjoyed him and known him for years and have he has a great reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure about his uh, his uh, costumes, but... Uh, <laughs> his bow tie is, is infamous. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. He says he's going to be buried in a bow tie someday, and I hope it's no time soon. Oh, I hope but, not. Yeah, tell me yeah. when, you've, when you've been to his farm mm -hmm. right what yes. was that like you know so uh as you know it's on the other side of ohio it's up near uh cleveland in huron ohio and it's it's magical you know it's there's there's a lot that they have going on there and they're constantly trying to look at how they're producing food and how can they be more conscientious of their growing practices and minimizing waste um and and their operation is so large because of how many people they provide for um it's it's definitely worth a visit i will say that they have a lot going on uh, between their growing and then also their culinary vegetable institute location uh and their their market it's it's idyllic <laughs> did you try have you tried the frozen spinach i can't oh yes the ice spinach yes yeah <laughs> it's got a great texture to it it's awesome huh. That sounded it sounded really really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, you're you're on an interesting journey yourself. Speaking of interesting, interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's back up now. Yes. Uh, there there came a point where you weren't sure what path you were going to be pursuing. So, mm -hmm. but kind of ex give us a little bit from you know coming out of high school on that that got you to where you are today. What have you done to get here? Yeah, you know uh, it's. I think as many of our lives have gone and are always going, it, it meanders a fair amount. And when you look back, you can kind of see the pieces that are fitting together. It's very much like a puzzle piece. Um, and at some point, there'll hopefully be a picture. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, I started in the industry pretty early on in my life. Um, when I was in high school, I had an opportunity to study um, up in Maine, uh, for a semester. And a lot of the program was focused on ecology. And we also had the opportunity to work on an organic farm that was attached to the campus. So, um, I sort of fell in love with farming then, and, uh, we would, you know, harvest, uh, we were there in the fall. So I remember harvesting potatoes and we'd, you know, bring them to our root cellar. And, uh, we had the opportunity also to volunteer in the kitchen, uh, and their chef, Chef Bill, who's uh, unfortunately passed away since then, um, he, you know, would get us in the kitchen and, and teach us how to work with the produce and how it uh, how it came together on the menu. Um, so I was just, you know, I would worked in some kitchens before that, but it was very ad hoc, you know, making small coin and <laughs> helping out. But um, it, it really inspired me to 
be more in the industry and find my independence. So when I got back uh, to Connecticut, where I grew up, um, I realized high school really wasn't for me. So I, I left a year early and ended up uh, going to a college in Western Massachusetts and working in a restaurant there. Um, and while working at the restaurant, I realized why am I at a liberal arts college when I should be in a culinary school, since this is probably what I'm going to be doing. So uh, quickly moved to a culinary school in uh, New York and, uh, you know, spent time there, did my undergrad program, spent a year in Germany in between my associates, my bachelor's, I bopped around a lot. Um, but I, you know, I was really drawn towards not just cooking, but understanding food from a cultural side. So I, I got a master's in food studies uh, from New York University and uh, got to travel a lot during that program. And uh, after that, I uh, worked for uh, dining services, had a lot of experience in high volume by that point because it was a great way to make money as a college student. Uh, but I got a great opportunity then to move to Ohio and open up a teaching kitchen Um so it's it's been very meandering within the industry, but what I've always kind of come back to is uh, the educational element. I was a teaching assistant at my undergrad uh, alma mater and got to work on a pilot study looking at health and wellness principles and how they could potentially reverse prediabetes. I was on the cooking side, clearly not the medical side. So a lot of little things that came together and coalesced and allowed me to uh, have that opportunity at Turner Farm. And uh, during that time, I realized that higher ed was really, you know, I'd always had an inkling in my head that, you know, yes, the, the culinary industry is amazing and connecting it with food sources and getting involved in farms and, and having that advocacy from a sustainability perspective, but teaching other people about all of this and helping them get inspired to research whatever they're interested in and, and critically analyze our food system or whatever they want to uh, critically analyze. So. Uh, I then started a doctorate in higher education leadership, which uh, I've now since finished. Uh, and my focus was on food insecurity in higher education institutions. So um, in saying all of these things, and it's very meandering, there are threads that sort of get pulled through throughout the whole process. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot, well, and, a lot and I, think, <laughs> I mean, everywhere, everywhere you've been, there's been, I mean, food's been part of mm -hmm. it. Uh, the educational journey, but also you've you've traveled quite a bit, and mm -hmm. from you know Germany to New England to the Midwest, and now your your campuses are in Boulder, Colorado, and Austin, mm -hmm. Texas, and in all of those areas, the farming situation is different. I mean, mm -hmm. how can you train you know chefs when you know uh, what's going to work when again the agriculture that might be available to them around austin is right. entirely different than the agriculture that's around them in munich you know or wherever yeah. and yet you've seen a little bit of all of that so how are you able to to bridge that gap and help people get to uh, appreciating their mm -hmm. sourcing you know no matter where they are yeah i think part of it is honestly having the conversation of allowing our students and allowing others to um to get out to look at the farms that are around them because you know microclimates definitely impact growing processes as well and uh you know take for example cincinnati versus huron ohio very different microclimates so um there are going to be different practices that work more effectively in certain areas so the best way to learn about that is honestly talking to the farmers that grow in your area 
Uh, and also what I found always really helpful uh, as, as a chef and trying to purchase local food, not from the farm that I was working at, but other local vendors to kind of help supplement is um, finding people that are also in the network that are in trying to create a food hub or trying to figure out ways to distribute together uh, so that you can better understand multiple growing processes without having to go to every single person because it, it does take quite a long time to uh, yeah. navigate even your small area. So, <laughs> so the people that you're training, mm -hmm. do you give them help in how to communicate what they're doing and why they're doing it? Uh, because it seems like it's one thing to learn how to prepare mm -hmm. a, a dish and to source mm -hmm. a dish, mm -hmm. but ultimately you are communicating to a consumer. Now the best communications yeah. is actually eating the food and saying, wow, that was good. And then they ask questions, but beyond yeah. that there, there has to be like menu descriptions or Absolutely. being able to come out from the kitchen. If somebody wants to ask you a question of where mm -hmm. did, where did this come from? And that sort of thing. Do you get yeah. involved in trying to help them with that? Yeah. So uh, the beautiful thing about all of our programs is that we don't just have practical classes. We do also have business-oriented classes. So thinking about our plant-based program, uh, we have a menu design course, a course on food service management, course on entrepreneurship, course on costing and purchasing. So they're getting those business skills as well throughout their um, process so that they can uh speak to many different elements beyond just creating something really good and saying, here, eat this. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've done this now several years. Are mm -hmm. you seeing any, are you seeing any trends? I mean, in the period mm -hmm. of the years that you have been involved, that you're, yeah. you're seeing a few people coming behind you, not, not that you have 30 years experience or anything, but you've got <laughs> several years experience. So you're seeing some of the new students. Are there, mm -hmm. are there any trends in their interest or their, their, their level of engagement that you're recognizing? Yeah, you know, it's it's been interesting, particularly when I first started at Escoffier, which was uh, almost three years ago, three years in May. Uh, we initially had a lot of folks interested in uh, running their own food trucks, which is still very popular, uh, but it does seem to have waned a little bit. Um, I'm fairly certain that the pandemic had a lot right. to do with that. Uh, but particularly with us, being able to launch plant-based and our holistic nutrition wellness program since then, you know, those are the student populations that I'm predominantly right. working with and, and the faculty that are part of those programs. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more students focused on the health and wellness side, both in plant-based and in the holistic nutrition program. And, um, you know, seeing folks that want to get more on the personal chef side, the kind of health coaching side of it uh, has definitely become way more, uh, predominant, but it's also because we've curated these programs that would attract students who were interested in those sides of it. Yeah. It's interesting because I mm -hmm. think even here in Sacramento, we've met people that are some wonderful chefs and we've got a number of really good farm to table restaurants here in town. Mm -hmm. We also have a great basketball team, our NBA team, and some of those stars have, have chefs. Mm -hmm. and that uh, they've got special diets that they're interested in, they're mm -hmm. helping with. So it seems like that whole direction is, maybe it's always been interesting, but it seems even more interesting than other. I think it's it's become a lot more, uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way, it's become a lot more mainstream for individuals to not just eat the traditional standard American diet and sure. being able to celebrate that. Um 
you know, I, especially when I initially went vegan, uh, I wasn't necessarily doing it to be a, a social pariah, but there certainly was a little bit of a stigma around sure. being vegan sure. at that time. Um, and I think it's become much more acceptable nowadays and, and a little bit more celebrated. Let's talk about the future. You look at where you are right now and you look at mm -hmm. what's happening with what's what chefs are interested in. I mean, mm -hmm. what's the most op optimistic scenario you see for five years, 10 years down the road? If we were going to put ourselves in that position, how do you hope things will have been evolved in that time? You know, I in that time, I'm very hopeful that more chefs uh, will become more involved in uh, connecting with growers that are in their area. Obviously, it's it's quite popular nowadays, but at the same time, there's, uh, from a systems perspective, it can be, uh, you know, more time, it can be more money, um, you know, a lot, a lot of consumers are happy to pay that additional increase from a menu price, but at the same time, that there's a lot to it. And I'm hopeful that uh, in the future, we will have more transparency through those systems and to the mm -hmm. customers, because uh, I, I think some of that process is still quite uh, elusive to many. Yeah, I, and maybe sometime you could actually do some job trading so mm -hmm. that uh, take somebody off the farm and put them in a kitchen for a while Absolutely. and take somebody off the kitchen and put them on the farm for a while. Yeah, I cross train a little bit. I think it's it's a great way to uh, humble individuals and get a better understanding of all of the hard work that's happening on both sides. And yeah, <laughs> well, I just think of your own journey. Get back to the fact that you know you could go from a high school to go up into Maine and working on an organic farm and getting your getting your hands dirty and 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 working hard. And then here we flash ahead, and you've got. You know, you're a, a teacher, an instructor, you've gone through college, you're doing all these other things. But mm -hmm. in the back of your mind, you can still remember what it's like to be pulling the weeds and doing the other things that you had to oh, do yes. on that farm. I can absolutely still viscerally remember picking thistle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think of some of the things I remember from being on the farm myself, mm -hmm. it's those those thistles stand out. You know, yeah. you, you never, you never forget. They get, stuck in your hands and you're just picking on them for a while so right it's it's memorable <laughs> yeah well if someone would like to learn more about the courses that you offer how did they find find that information out yeah the best way to find more information is at escoffier.edu so that's e-s-c-o-f-f-i-e-r.edu no oh. Well, they'll check it out. It's a good site. And I tell you, I've enjoyed talking to you, Chef Stephanie White. Stephanie, good to see you again. I'm going to be back in Cincinnati not too long. So maybe we can connect again out there and have a cup of coffee and continue the conversation. But thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Very much appreciated your time, Roger. And uh, yeah, hope so. It's Marymount is amazing. That's a beautiful area. So it's it's always good in the spring. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 